guys are uh, quiet and very attentive already this morning. <laughs> so if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians, not Ephesians, Isaiah chapter 6. I'm about to read from Ephesians uh, some true words that the Spirit of God spoke through the Apostle Paul. I want you to hear these this morning as we talk about what it means to have a call to preach upon your life. Obviously, this is a special service as we ordain Nate to the gospel preaching ministry. But listen to what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul here is writing a letter to the church there in Ephesus. And as he's writing this letter and as he lays out these true words to the church, he's reminding them, he's reminding us today that the Lord is the one who chooses and the Lord is the one who gifts people, men, to his church. He's the one who provides the spiritual leaders who will come alongside and to shepherd the church. He gives these gifts for the purpose of feeding and protecting and, and guiding the people of God. He does all of this so that the church might grow up into maturity in Christ. It's not an accident that a church has its pastors. It's not an accident that those pastors are there. They are there intentionally and purposely to feed, guide, and protect the people of God. And so today, we are obviously stepping outside of our sermon series. We're not going to be in the Gospel of Luke today. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. And we're doing something very special in the life of our church and in the life of one of our pastors, Nate West. We are, as a church, recognizing and affirming today the gift that God has given to his church in ordaining Nate West to the preaching ministry. Nate has served here for uh, two and a half years. You're right there. I know where you are. I know where you are, brother. I always. No, no, no. But Nate has served here for two and a half years and has done a phenomenal job. Uh, under his ministry and his leadership in our student ministry, we've seen uh, a number of teenagers profess faith in Jesus Christ, follow the Lord in believers' baptism. We've seen uh, our small group attendance in student ministry uh, grow tremendously. We've seen our Elevate worship service on Wednesday nights grow tremendously. It's just encouraging to see all that the Lord has done and is doing and we believe will continue to do through Nate, through Joanna, and the ministry that they have here in our student ministry. Nate also is sort of our utility player in our staff team or on our staff team. He does a number of other things. Sometimes he uh, leads worship. He has played many times in the band. He has uh, responsibilities weekly of helping get digital things out, creating things, and making sure things are on the website and podcasts and uh, our, our archive sermon series and all of those things. So Nate has giftings that go beyond his ability to take God's word and to correctly divide it and teach it to uh, the people. But we are grateful to God for Nate and his ministry here at Red Lane Baptist Church. So this morning we're ordaining him. It's been a while since we've ordained one of our pastors. And so perhaps this morning you have little to no concept of what an ordination is, what an ordination service comprises, what it's supposed to be like. And so this morning you might just be wondering, what is ordination? 
Well, let me just kind of define that term for you if I could. Ordination is the process whereby we as the local church express our affirmation on the, of the calling of God upon the life of the preacher. Every denomination kind of comes at this a little different. Uh, uh, every church, every denomination has their own little twist to it many times, either in churches or particular denominations. The process will begin with a licensing. We, the church will license the minister to gospel ministry. And later on, that license is followed up with ordination. In a Southern Baptist church, such as us, as we think about what a license to gospel ministry is, it's basically the church saying this. You're telling us that God has called you into vocational preaching ministry, and we as a church believe you. That's what a license, in essence, is saying. Ordination is taking it a step further. Ordination, from the church's perspective, is we've had time to observe you, your walk with the Lord, your handling of God's word, your handling with this calling, and we believe God has called you because we have seen it. We see evidence of that in your life. So the first is saying we believe that you believe it. The latter is saying we believe it because we see it. So this morning as we conduct this ordination service as a church, we are affirming we see the call of God upon this brother's life and ministry. A couple years ago when Nate joined our staff team, he was young, he still is young uh, from my perspective, but he was fresh into ministry. He'd served as an intern in a couple different roles. He had served as a volunteer, multiple capacities at various churches and college, even as a, a young man in, in high school, just leading out there. And so he had never been licensed before. We as a church, freshly joining our staff team, says, brother, we believe that you believe you're called to ministry. We licensed him. He's been serving faithfully here for two and a half years. Now we as a church are stepping back and saying, we don't just believe that you're called because you believe it. We believe it because we see it and the evidence is right in front of us as a church. And so thankfully, those whom God calls, he gifts, and those whom he calls, he equips for the work of ministry. And the gifts and the calling of God, we think about this, we need to understand that they are without repentance. In other words, God, when he calls a man into the preaching ministry, will never change his mind about planning to use that young man or that man for the kingdom of God. He intended to do so before birth. You look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. We see there that God had an intention. He had a plan in Jeremiah's life, and that plan was in place and in process even before Jeremiah entered this life. Likewise, we think about this. God does not make mistakes. He never calls the wrong person. I'm in a, a Facebook group called SBC Pastors, and, and, a, and a guy just yesterday or the day before it's one of the guys who posts quite often, and, and he's, he's discouraged. He's down right now because he's got a deacon in his life that apparently doesn't like him very much. And oftentimes, he'll come to this, his pastor and say, you know, you're not a really good pastor. You're not a very good preacher. I like this other preacher that's in our town, and I'd prefer to listen to him. And so literally, once a month, this guy will come to his pastor and say, you know, I'm going to go listen to so-and-so down the street this Sunday. I'm not coming to church. He just discourages him, Right? You think about that, we can be discouraged by all sorts of things. And sometimes we may even begin to think, was I really called to serve the church? Was I really called to preach? Was I really called into the ministry? I want 
all of our ordained men. And Nate, I want you to know this morning that God never makes a mistake when he calls us to gospel ministry. Never calls the wrong person. You may not measure up from a human standpoint with someone else. Your ministry may never be as quote-unquote grand as someone else. But he never makes a mistake when he calls his men to the gospel ministry. Amen? And so this morning, as we move through this ordination process, we need to understand it is the way for the church to express our affirmation of God's calling of the preacher. And so I want to talk briefly about a man's call to preach before we lay our hands upon Nate and uh, pray over him and his wife today. So Isaiah chapter 6, if you've got your Bible there, let's read that chapter. Isaiah says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord set in upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had never taken, or that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Chapter 6 that we have just read here records a very pivotal moment in the life of this prophet. It's a pivotal moment not just in the life of this prophet. It's a pivotal moment in the history of, of Judah, this southern kingdom, this portion of God's people. Marks a new era in the history of this nation. It's a new era in the history of Isaiah's life as God's preacher. Now, many questions about the nature and the significance of God's calling, this unusual meeting, arise as we read through this text. In fact, we could spend our time this morning looking at the message that Isaiah is to proclaim as the preacher to the people. We're not going to do that, but we are going to look at this calling. We're going to look at this calling of the prophet, this preacher, and how evident that is. Experience of having a glimpse of the majesty of God's glory 
we read this, we see that it dramatically impacted the prophet's life. In fact, it's going to impact him in such a way that that's going to be evident through the rest of his teaching ministry and his theology that he lays out. It caused him to understand God's calling on his life. The prophet would lean on his calling throughout his preaching ministry because as we know the history of this prophet, we know that the days of his ministry were very difficult. They were not days of ease. They were not days of simplicity. They were not days where everything was wonderful and hunky and, and hunky dory and, and everybody was praising him. Oh, Isaiah, you're such a wonderful man. Oh, Isaiah, you make me feel so good about myself. You make me feel so good about my situation and standing with God. That was not Isaiah's calling. He was there to preach the Lord's word. As we see here, the Lord's word to the people was not a simple word. It was not an easy word. It was a harsh word. So Isaiah had to lean into his calling. Outside of assurance of his personal conversion to Christ, no other spiritual conviction, think about this, will help God's man in his journey more than a firm conviction that God has called him to preach. Because the days usually are not easy. You see, preaching, whether it be as a senior pastor, a student pastor, a small groups pastor, even as an itinerant evangelist, is not so much a profession as it is a calling. Now, in many denominations, part of an ordination, the ordination process is the man's education. So you go to Bible college, and then you go to seminary, and then that's part of your denominational ordination process. We as Southern Baptists, we lean into education, but it's not the end-all, be-all. So we can't lean back and say, man, I finished seminary. I'm called to the ministry. We can't lean back and say, I went to Bible college. I've got these degrees on my wall. I've got all this. No, when things get very difficult for us, we should always lean into, number one, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and Jesus has accepted me as his son. And then secondly, as the called man of God, I'm leaning into my conviction that I was called of God to do what I'm doing, preaching the word of God, leading God's church. Many times young men will ask their pastors, how can I know that God is calling me to preach? Am I following just my own aspiration? Am I wanting or desiring to do this because it seems like it'd be fun or enjoyable or maybe I'm good at it or maybe all my buddies are involved in ministry or on their way to ministry and I'm kind of just tagging along. Pastor, how do I know that I'm called to this? I remember many, many years ago wrestling with this same concept in my own life. Involved in ministry, in the student ministry in college, been doing things in high school in the student ministry. My best friends then are still my best friends in many ways today. They were on their way to ministry. And so I was wrestling for months of whether or not I was just kind of in a pattern with other guys that I had deep friendships with. Or was this a distinct call upon my life? So young guys, older guys being called to the ministry wrestle with this. How do I no. Well, thankfully, the Bible has clear instructions on God's call and the gifts that accompany that call. So Isaiah 6 that we've read this morning is one of those very clear passages speaking to the call of God upon a man for the preaching ministry. Isaiah here is an adult when he's called to be the prophet. He's speaking for God to the people of Judah. In many ways, our Protestant understanding of 
being called into the preaching ministry is built upon what we see here in Isaiah's call to preach. And so I want to share with you three things, three aspects of this call. The call to preach, number one, is a definite call. It's definite. Isaiah here was a volunteer. He signed up for the ministry that he was going to have, the ministry that he was going to possess, but he was only volunteering in response to the call that God placed upon his life. The verses here make it clear his calling was a definite one. How do we know that? Look at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, it's dated. It's a definite call. You see, Isaiah, for the rest of his life, for the rest of his ministry, could go back to that day in the year of King Uzziah's death and say, that's when God placed his hand upon me. That's when God called me into this proclamation ministry. History tells us that King Uzziah died around 740 B.C. He had served, the Bible tells us, as king of Judah for 52 years. That means Isaiah, after this, up to this point, had known no other king but King Uzziah. And King Uzziah had been a righteous man, a faithful king, a, a great leader and a great benefit to the people of Judah for most of his years as king. He didn't end great, but he had a great starting and he had a great run. And so he was revered as the great king of Judah at this point. And so it shocked the kingdom. It was a time of mourning, a time of, of deep grief within the people of God. It marked them and it marked Isaiah. It was in that year of mourning that Isaiah experienced the Lord and his call to preach. He experienced the Lord that day in a fresh and unforgettable way. So there was no way to doubt that calling because it was a definite call. There's two things I believe are worth noting about this definite call in Isaiah's experience. First of all, we see that he had a divine experience. Verse 1, it says that Isaiah saw the Lord. In many ways, there's a close parallel between a man's calling into ministry and that same man's calling to faith in Jesus Christ. He saw the Lord. He had this grand vision of the Lord in his life. As he was called, he would have had the same grand uh, uh, vision of the Lord as he's called to faith. Both of them are dateable. Many things work together leading up to those moments, but both are definite. Both are dateable experiences. Now, perhaps you may not be able to put a time, a specific date there, but you know the season. He says, in the year of King Uzziah's Death. It's marking it by a year. He's not saying it was July 14th or like in my case, February 7th, 1999. I'm the strange guy that puts specific dates there. But it was dateable. It was a divine experience that he had with the Lord as he saw him there in the throne room, high and lifted up, the train of his Lord, his robe filling the temple. He saw God gloriously and exalted on the throne. So, Nate, you may not know the exact calendar date of either date, your salvation, which I think you do, or your specific calling, but you should be able to describe approximately when, where, and under the circumstances that that calling came about in your life. I know those two things. For me, when I came to faith in Jesus, I've told you many times, for me, it was April 24th, 1997, freshman in college at the University of Arkansas. It was a Thursday. I was uh, having my quiet time that morning, and from John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, God spoke into my life and called me to faith in Jesus. And all morning, I wrestled with that. 
under deep conviction of sin, under deep conviction that though I was religious, verse 12 in chapter 5 of 1 John told me I had no life. I just had religion. It was 1 o'clock that afternoon. I got up off the throne there in the showroom of the uh, company that I worked for, and I was in the bathroom, and I just confessed my sin, turned from my sin, trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and God changed my life. I can remember February 7th, 1999. It was a Sunday evening in my home church. It's back when we used to have Sunday evening churches or Sunday evening services at church. I had been wrestling, as I mentioned earlier, for months with whether or not God was calling me to preach for a living, basically, the preaching ministry. I had great friends that were in that direction. One of them, Chris Wayne, he died two years ago, tragically. But he would ask me, we were interning together in the student ministry at my home church, and he asked me all the time, man, are you called to preach? I'm like, I, I don't know, I'm trying to figure this out. But that evening, that Sunday evening, as I'm there in church, I have no idea what my pastor is preaching on. I just know that through that service, God brought me in. There's such conviction that this was to be my life that I went forward that evening and said to, to, uh, to the junior high pastors, the guy I responded to, the guy I worked under as an intern, and I said, man, I need to surrender. I, I need to surrender to the preaching ministry. God has called me into ministry. It was a divine experience. Isaiah had his own divine experience with God whereby he was called to preach. Second thing worth noting in this de definite call is that it was an awesome experience. You know, as we read through the rest of verse 1 through verse 4, we see just how awesome of an experience this was. Now, lest we think he simply had an emotional experience, I want you to notice here that Isaiah describes the physical things that he saw there. He describes the throne room of God. He describes the angels calling them seraphim. He describes the voices he heard, the physical feelings he had. He describes the sights. He even describes the smell. Smoke there. It was a moving and real experience as he witnessed these mighty angels declare the holiness of God. I mean, I can't even fathom what that would have been like. It was an awesome experience. Isaiah, through all of this, was called to preach of God's divine holiness. And so the setting of this calls to mind for us today. It reminds the preacher today that he is called to a greater vision and a deeper experience with God. Now, all Christians are held to the same standard, holiness. But if you're going to handle the word of God, if you're going to preach the word of God, and you're going to lead God's people, you need to walk closer to the Lord than others. You need to have that awesome experience with God on a regular basis. That needs to drive your ministry. We dare not take this calling lightly. We dare not take this calling presumptuously. Call to preach is a definite call. Secondly, the call to preach is a convicting call. And it would seem the closer the preacher God, of God comes to the Lord, the cleaner his life would feel, right? And if you're called to this deeper walk with God, if you're called to handle the things of God, you, which means you should be closer to him, it seems like you would feel cleaner all the time, right? Doesn't that make sense that the closer I am to the Lord and his holiness, that I feel holy myself? And yet that's not Isaiah's experience here in verse 5 and following. What does he say? Woe is me. He, see, he sees God's holiness. He sees him high and lifted up. He catches a glimpse of his majesty and glory. And his immediate response is, woe is 
me. You see, he begins to see himself for who he is when he sees God for who he is. When he sees God in his holiness, he sees his own sinfulness and in his, his inadequacies. The call to preach, we need to be reminded, does not make a man feel any more holy than his call to salvation. Man, I tell you, when I came to know Jesus on that day in April of 1997, I felt anything but holy. I felt sinful. I felt condemned. I felt empty. I felt needing and wanting something that made me whole. I needed the God for which I was created in that moment. And so I experienced that and I found what I was looking for as I bowed my knee and surrendered to Jesus. And I was called to preach. It was not a call where I just felt like I was God's man. I'm going to, you know, of all the people he could have picked, he should have picked me, and he did, right? That's not the way I felt at all. Why would you pick me, Lord? Why would you do that? Even today, as you continue to be in ministry, Ronnie, Nate's father here, Jordan, his brother, Steve, can all attest to this, that as you've been, as you are in ministry year after year, and you're faithfully living out your calling and faithfully handling the word of God, we never feel adequate in that. We always feel unworthy in the call. It's a convicting call. Closer we move to the Lord, the brighter the light is, and the more you see yourself as sinful. It's no different from any other Christian. The closer you walk with God, the more sin you see. You say, man, I, I thought I dealt with all of that sin when I came to Jesus. I, I don't cuss anymore. I'm not running around my wife anymore. I'm not doing whatever the, those easy, visible sins were. Hopefully none of you were running around on your wife, but if you were, I hope you're done with that, right? So, so we got these big sins, and, and we confess those, and we repent of those. And, and yet as you walk with God more and more, what happens? That onion gets peeled back more and more as well. And you see that what was, what was manifesting itself in those visible sins was something that was much, much deeper. And it takes a lot longer to work on that deep stuff. So as we walk with God, as a layman, as we walk with God as the preacher, we are moving closer to the light of God, and we see ourselves more and more is sinful. Two things about that in relation to this call. There's a feeling of unworthiness that I'm describing here. No one should feel worthy to be called to preach. And the reason for this is because <laughs> preachers are sinners too. Amen? You said that with a little too much emphasis. <laughs> we got clay feet just like everybody else. We're human just like everybody else. And so we should always hold this calling lightly. I get to stand and preach the word of God. Look at me. Look at how wonderful I am. No, no, no. You see, every time that we stand and preach the word of God, and if we do use a finger, and I'm not a big pointer, right? But if we use a finger and we're saying, this is what the Lord's saying to you, there's a few of them pointing back at me as well. We never take this calling with pride and arrogance, but instead we feel this sense of unworthiness in our life. We see our woeful failure to live up the holy and righteous standards of God himself. And so as we study his word, as we prepare to share that word with others, many times we are absolutely overwhelmed by it. And that's a good thing. When we feel our unworthiness and we feel the conviction that the spirit of God is speaking to us, that's when our preaching becomes incarnational. That's when our preaching becomes transformational. That's when our preaching becomes real because it's not just something I'm dispensing to you. It's something I'm striving to live myself. 
There ought to be this feeling of unworthiness, but there's something that goes along with that, and that is there's an assurance of atonement. He says, woe is me. But then the remedy comes. One of those seraphim, one of those high angels, flies from his position above the throne of God. He flies over to the the altar. He takes some tongs, and he picks up a coal, and he comes over to Isaiah, who is feeling so unworthy in his sinfulness, and he touches his lip, cauterizing them, cleansing them. There's an assurance of atonement. Man, we may feel unworthy, and we are, but it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through his calling upon our lives that we are made to be ready to preach and to live out this convicting calling. Each day, the preacher, living out his call, holds these two realities in tension. Both are true. See, the preacher feels the conviction of his calling, knowing he is unworthy, but at the same time rejoicing that his sin has been removed. Third thing I want to point out this morning, the call to preach is a sending call. As Isaiah here experiences God's presence, he's convicted and he knows his inadequacies, and yet God issues a call. God calls him to himself. He calls for someone to go. And Isaiah steps up and volunteers. He commits himself to the Lord. The same is true for the man who's called to preach today. This call is a sending call. And it requires a commitment from the preacher. There's three commitments that I think are worth noting. The sending call, this commitment to it, is a commitment to go. Who will go for us is what the Lord asked Isaiah immediately volunteers for this position. And so today, Nate, I want, you to, I want to remind you of your calling and what you signed up for. You didn't sign up for an easy task. You didn't sign up for a simple task. You didn't sign up for just a, a short task. You signed up to be in the service of the Lord all time, going for him. When you answered God's call to preach, you were committing to go wherever God would send you and to do whatever he told you to do. That's what you signed up for. I have had conversations with too many guys in the ministry who said yes to Jesus as long as it fit their little parameters. I can't tell you the number of conversations with guys in the hiring process, either it's been here or other places, where I'm on the phone or I'm in a video conference or I'm trying to have a conversation with a guy about joining our staff team. And he says, man, I'm called of God. Man, I've answered the call of the Lord. I I love the ministry. And I I want to do and serve the Lord wherever he would send me. But when we begin to talk about what it means to pick up and leave where he is and move to where we are as a church, he says, no, I want to stay in this certain geographical region. Or no, 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 I want to only go to a certain size of church. Or I want to only go to a certain ministerial niche. To that guy, I want to say, get out of ministry. You have no business being here. Man, that's harsh. I also don't say, you're kind of a little pansy, right? And I don't want you on my team either. Drives me nuts. I'm not tooting my own horn. But when I said yes to Jesus in 1999, I'll go wherever and whenever you want me to do and wherever you want me to go, I meant it. I haven't lived in Arkansas since 2005. We've raised our kids away from grandparents. 
We don't have the luxuries that most of you young families do where you can kind of drop them off at grandma's house for a little bit and go on our little way. We have, we, we've seen ourselves as God's missionaries and we've been sent. And it doesn't matter. We make the accommodations to make that work because the calling of God upon my life and the calling of God upon any God, man of God's life is to go wherever he sends and to do whatever he tells you to do. And Nate, I would charge you to do that. That means you've got to leave the Richmond metro area. We don't ever want you to leave Red Lane Baptist Church. We don't want you to leave Powhatan, Virginia. We, don't want, we definitely don't want you to leave the, the comfort and the luxuries of living so close to family. But if he calls you to go, you got to go. you got to go. And I think mom and dad, I think brother, your sister-in-law would cheer that on to the glory of God. Your sister would cheer that on to the glory of God. It is a commitment to go. Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Secondly, it's a commitment to proclaim. God gave Isaiah his marching orders here. He was to go and say. Look at that, verse 9. Go and say to this people. The call to vocational gospel ministry is a call to preach. And it does not matter if your primary ministry area is senior pastor, student pastor, children's pastor, administrator, worship. It doesn't matter. Small groups. I mean, roles change. Your place, your seating on the ministerial bus may change for over the years. But no matter what, one thing never changes. And that is, it is a call to preach the gospel. I've pastored three churches. I've been a wor- uh, I've never been a worship pastor. Lord help the church if I was. <laughs> I can't sing and clap at the same time. That would be a terrible sounding church no one would attend. I've been a student pastor, I've been a collegiate pastor, I've been a small groups pastor, and I've been the senior pastor of three churches. My place on the bus has changed. I spent three years as an intern in student ministry before all of that. My seat has changed, but my calling never has. In all of those roles, The chief task that I had was to preach the gospel, was to take the word of God and equip the saints of the body for the work of ministry. It is a call to preach. Secondly, it's a commitment to persevere. Verse 11, he says, how long, O Lord? You know, he was given some real tough orders. I want you to go to the people, and I want you to say, keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, their eyes blind. I'm grateful I don't have that call for a sermon series, right? He was called to go and proclaim the word of God in a very specific way to the people of God as they were preparing for judgment through the exile. No matter what the calling is as far as specifically what to preach, we have to persevere in that. Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? How long? God says, until cities lie waste. In other words, until what I've proclaimed in judgment comes to fruition. So when we think about ministry, I want you to know ministry is absolutely wonderful. Nate, you know this. There's nothing we would rather do in life than to preach. In fact, I've heard many people say over the years, it was said to me young, a long time ago as I was a young man, if there's anything else you would aspire to do, go do that. In high school, I wanted to be a football coach or a game warden. It was like, which direction am I going to go? I, I didn't become a high school coach because I, I didn't want to teach. I just wanted to coach, right? I would love to have had the head coach job at a high school where we could win a lot of football games, a lot of state championships, and I would never have to enter a classroom. But that's not reality. So no thank you. I won't be a teacher. But I love teachers. Praise God for teachers, which wasn't my calling. 
a game warden was more probably as I was a younger person in high school, but I love hunting and fishing, and so it sounded like a great avenue for me to go, but the Lord didn't lead me in that direction. And so I was called to preach. My desire came for ministry. It moved, it morphed in that direction. And there's absolutely nothing for me more enjoyable, more fulfilling than every single Sunday standing right here and taking the word of God and teaching it to the people of God. Love it. I'm an introvert by nature. I'm I'm a person that doesn't like to be the limelight in a room. I, I don't like any of those things. But when I stand and preach, I am doing what God has called and equipped me to do. Ministry is wonderful from that standpoint. But you know, there's some dark days. There's some difficult times. It's those meetings and those conversations, those times where you have to have hard conversations with people in the church or people in the community. You're misunderstood and you're mis. Uh, represented by others. It's in those days that you begin to wonder, man, maybe there's something else I could do with my life. We're definitely not in this for the money, right? I don't have a multi-million dollar book deal that's out there. I, I don't have uh, any of those things that maybe some others have. So we're not in this for the money. So what is it? It's, it's not, we're not in it for the praise because sometimes it's fleeting. What is it then that leads us to stay here? It's a call. It's our persevering commitment to the call to preach the word of God. And so that's what God says to Isaiah. How long, O Lord, until cities lies wait? In other words, just persevere. Just lean into the calling. I will take care of everything else. So in those seasons that are difficult, the preacher must remember his calling and persevere through it. I never forget the moments the conversations, even the evening that the Lord's called me to himself and says, you're set apart for this task. I never, remember, never forget those. things. And so in those difficult days, and we've had some of those difficult days throughout the years, I've leaned into that calling. Just like, you know what? When I, uh, and you're the same way, when, when, when there is sin in your life and, and you think, man, I, my, my, if, if people knew the thoughts that go through my head, and how it doesn't even feel or seem like a Christian. And you're wondering, how can I even be loved by God? You lean back on your calling to Jesus, right? You lean back into the fact that Jesus called you to himself and he's not yet done with you. That's the same thing with a call to preach. You do all of this because you have been sent. This is a sending call. Paul in Ephesians 4 tells us that the preacher, the man of God, tends to the flock He cares for the spiritual welfare of God's people. You see, the preacher teaches the flock. He feeds them a steady diet from the richness of God's word. And these two things work in tandem to develop and to grow and to move the church, move the people of God into full maturity in Christ. Church, aren't you grateful for the pastors that the Lord has given his church? Grateful for the elders that he's given us. Grateful for the ministerial staff that he's given us. I mean, as I think about the heritage that God has given me, Ronnie, you can, I'm sure, speak to this as well. I'm thankful that I was able to grow up under the teaching ministry and the mentorship of Dr. Ronnie Floyd, my home church. One of the greatest visionaries, one of the greatest teachers of God's word I've ever been around. And he tremendously has influenced me, not just as a kid, even to this day. I've had the privilege of of 
setting under and being mentored and have the friendship of Dr. Johnny Hunt, who's preached here just a couple years ago, and his influence and investment into my life and in my wife's life. I think about the pastors that I've served alongside as a staff guy, Dale Thompson and Brett Pittman and others. My student pastors as a, as a teenager, Sean Smith and John Cope, shaped me and formed me and helped me to know God's word, have a hunger for God's word, and be able to sense his calling upon my life. I think about Samuel, young Samuel, young boy living in the temple with um, the high priest there who was gifted to the ministry as a young boy by his mother Hannah, and he began to hear God's voice calling him. And he didn't recognize it. But it was Eli who helped him to recognize that voice. That's what these men have done in my life. And church, we want to be a church that helps other men sense that calling of God upon their life. We want to be the church that continues to fan the flame in Nate's life as he is young in the ministry still. So now that we understand about this moment today, let's recognize and let's celebrate God's gift to his church by ordaining Nate to the gospel ministry. I'm going to invite our elders and their wives to the platform. And so if you folks will come up here. As they're making their way, I'm going to, once they get up here, I'm going to ask that Joanna and Nate, if you would come up here as well.